men try to get together with the men uh, each month this this year. I really believe it's good for us to have fellowship. So I'd like to tell everybody whether you, it don't matter whether you're a church member or not, uh, even if especially if you're not a church member, I'd like for you to come and fellowship with us so we can get to know you. Um, so on February the 11th, that's a Saturday, uh, we're going to try to get together. I'll give you some exact times, but probably depending on the weather, we might do it around 10 o'clock. We might, we might do it in the afternoon. I'll let you know for sure next week. We're going to get together at, um, Elkhart golf course and hit a ball. Now we are not golfers. There's some in here that are awesome golfers. And then there's people like me who, who we are fixing to have a good time. And people on the course are highly endangered when some of us get there. But it's just going to be, honestly, uh, honestly, I'll do good to hit a ball. I'm going to beat the dirt, but I'm going to have a good time, and, and that's what it's for. Get together and fellowship and laugh and make fun of each other, and, and maybe we can learn something because there are some guys here who can absolutely teach you if you're interested in golf. But uh, So if you want to come to that, come on. And uh, I don't know what it costs. What does it cost, Tracy, to play a day at 20 bucks, 40 bucks? Something like that, okay. Whatever it is, I give you two or three weeks. To, if you lay off him cheeseburgers, put five bucks in your pocket, and eat a sandwich, you can play, okay. All right, looking in the book of First John, <clears throat> so you know where I'm coming from. Uh, I start off with a question: Can a person have absolute assurance of his or her salvation to the point of knowing that when you die, you absolutely one hundred and ten percent know? Whether or not you're going to heaven. Or is it something that we only hope for and find out once we're there and we're judged? Um, here's, here's what God's word says. It says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The purpose of the book of 1 John, the whole purpose of the book of 1 John is he's written these things so you can know whether or not that you're a born-again believer, whether or not that you have eternal life abiding in you. Uh, and and I'll, so I'll answer my question. You, you can absolutely and you should have absolute assurance of where you stand because a person needs to know where you stand with God. Don't, don't hope and think and wonder. And, and there's a lot of people who deal with doubt. There's believers who, I, man, I've dealt with doubt about my salvation throughout my, throughout my time. So it's not a weird thing if you, if you doubt salvation. I think it's a weird thing if you never doubt your salvation. I think that, that when you, when, when the devil brings about doubt, you should, you should always confirm and know. That's one thing you want to have absolute assurance of is your salvation. Don't you think it'd be kind of crazy if you were, if you were going into a, a battlefield situation and they had guns on that side and you had guns on that side? Now, if you were standing there fixing to go into that and you wasn't sure you was loaded, how confident would you be towards running after the the enemy? You know what I'm saying? If you said, "Man, I, I hope that my gun's loaded," and or if you was, you know, like the OS, you was fixing to have a shoot down and. You know, you would want to, I guarantee before I go, I'd be like checking. i make sure every one of the cylinders has something in it. And I would, you know, do my thing. I wouldn't go into it wondering and hoping. And, and so, so here's the thing. 
the awesome thing is God wants you to have assurance and you can have assurance because when you do, it changes everything. It gives you, it gives you power and it gives you confidence and it gives you peace and it gives you joy and it totally changes everything in your service to the Lord. I think there's a lot of people who don't serve because they don't have assurance. There's a lot of people who don't have joy as a believer because they don't have assurance. And this whole concept of one day you can be saved and one day you're not, which is a lie. I'll tear that up. I will, the Bible will tear that doctrine apart and and i would love to do that anytime to to help you i don't say that in an arrogant way i'm just saying i'm absolutely confident in god's word that when a person is a born again believer you're you're truly saved you're saved forever sealed signed and delivered because of what jesus has done because if i have to wonder one day if i'm saved and the next day i'm not all it does that's the, the devil uses that lie and he uses doubt to basically cripple a believer and to take away what Christ's resurrection secured for us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to look over the next few weeks and give you assurance one way or another of where you stand with God, whether you, whether you are saved, okay? Because here's the thing. People who don't care, people like, well, I'll find out when I get there and whatever. I don't really think they have a concept of hell. You know, and I don't, I don't, I don't like, I'm not using fear tactics and all that, but here's what I know. Jesus preached on hell more than he did heaven. Hell's a real place. Hell ain't a place I want to end up or anybody else. I don't want anybody in here to end up there. There are a lot of misconceptions. If we want to be real this morning about what salvation is, we got, you know, 500 different messages of the gospel being preached across you know, this area this morning, and there's so many different things through the years that have been taught about this is salvation and this is salvation. And uh, I just want to take, this is going to be a very simple study because I want you to look at God's Word. You want to base your relationship to the Lord on God's Word because it's true. When you stand before the Lord, you know, I don't think He's going to ask you, but if He asks you, so tell me, why do you think that I should let you in? You want to be able to take and go, God, because your word said this, and your word said this, and your word says this, and you're you're faithful and true to your word. You're you, you're, and that I trusted what you said here. You don't want to go, well, Lord. I had, yeah, I do like some people. Lord, I had an experience, you know, where I, you know, I just felt really guilty one night, and I walked outside, and and I prayed, and I heard a dog howl in the distance, and and you know, so that confirmed that obviously I have a relationship with you. I'm like, no, that's not in the scripture, you know. And so many people think, what? I'm just telling you. There's a lot of people, a lot of ideas out there about feelings and experiences. And, and over the past 20 or 30 years, that has really engrafted into the churches all these feelings and experiences uh, that, that you have if you're a true believer. Whereas that's not what the scripture teaches. I would rather you look at God's word and see what it says. And here's the cool thing. If you struggle with doubt or, or you're not sure of your salvation of the Lord... When you look at this study, you'll go to just, just this morning, but over the next few weeks, when we look at this, all you got to do is to go, okay, God said, if I'm a true believer, this is what I'll have. I have this. So what does that mean? I'm saved. Because only God can do these things, okay? And if I don't have this, then I need to dig a little bit deeper to go, is it possible that I'm deceived, okay? But this is black and white, no gray area. So starting off in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, <clears throat> John's writing here and he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's talking about we are eyewitnesses of the Son of God, of Jesus, of who he was. We saw his life. We saw his ministry. We saw his death. We saw his resurrection. Verse 2, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, now we declare it to you. So you're getting a first-hand witness of Jesus and of the gospel that was given to them to pass to us. He says also, or uh, in, uh, that we have seen and heard and declared, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And so when you look at verse 3, he talks about the fellowship of Christ. He says that you may have fellowship. Now this is not talking about a fish fry, okay, or a religious get-together. This this word here, when I looked it up, the word fellowship actually means uh, communion. To be, when we think about communion, a lot of times we think about taking the Lord's Supper and we come into communion together. If you look at that word, it means a common union. We have a common union. That word means to be a partaker. And I'm going to try to teach you this. Yes, this is a doctrinal message. And doctrine is absolutely excellent. Because that's what God's word is. So, so write some of this stuff down. Go back and study it for yourself. But this word means to be a partaker. Or sharing in something. A believer is not one who simply shares in, in biblical principles. Or biblical thoughts. Or some kind of belief system. A lot of people think that a Christian is one who. You have the ideas of the Bible. You know some of the things of the Bible. You have knowledge of the Bible. And you're like, yeah, you know, I agree with that. That's, that's not what makes a person, a born-again believer. A, a Christian is a person who has experienced um, uh, the gospel and a union with Christ Jesus himself. You know, we always use the word, you have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's exactly what he is, because there is a union, not between you and a mental assent to the scripture, but because you have heard the gospel and you believe uh, what the gospel teaches, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, was buried and rose again. You agree with God. And in that point, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to talk a lot about that, through the work of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, you have submitted to the righteousness of Christ and there was a union made. If you're a born again believer, at that point in time where you submitted yourself to the righteousness of God, you quit trying to establish your own righteousness. I, my own righteousness would be, well, why, why would you believe you're a Christian? Because I, I was baptized. Man, I hear that a lot. It really bothers me when people go, well, we were baptized together. Well, I was baptized. Thinking that baptism is good and it has its place, but it's not salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. Okay? There has to be a union. The water of baptism doesn't wash away anything. It's flesh. Okay, this is on the outside. You had to be saved on the inside. Your spirit person needs to be in union. At the point, think about this. At the point that you submitted yourself, you surrendered, you humbled yourself. Try to use a lot of words so you'll get what I'm saying. That you humbled yourself to to what God was dealing with you with about the gospel. You recognize I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe Jesus. I believe what he's done for me. And I'm submitting to what Christ has done for my salvation. Okay. At that point, there was a union made. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God, number one, he turned on the lights so that you could realize that. And at the moment that you and man does have free will and you make a choice, I will either choose to believe the gospel and trust in Jesus or I'll choose to reject it. But when you choose to believe it at that point, 
the union between you and Jesus, His Spirit takes up residence and raises your dead spiritual man to life. There's a there's an everlasting union that takes place there between you and the Lord, okay, to where your spirit is joined with His Spirit and He raises you to life. And in that, that's an everlasting union there. And so that has to take place. If that takes place, then there's going to be some significant evidence in your life that that has happened. That's what it means when Jesus said, you must be born again. Okay, you become one. The Bible says that you become one in Christ. Now who he is is who I am. Okay. A lot of stuff there with, with that Jesus tries to, uh, he illustrates that through marriage and stuff, okay? <clears throat> so, so when you look in verse 4, notice what it says as a result of this. Why does God want us to have that assurance? In verse 4 it says, and these things I write to you that your joy may be full. Uh, there would be, I believe there would be so many more. Why I want you to get this understanding in this is because God wants you to have joy. When you, when some of you don't have joy in your marriage, and, and a lot of times it's because you doubt where you stand in that relationship. I remember I'm, I'm a hard person, honestly, to receive love. I don't receive love real easy. Uh, that was one of my struggles in my walk with the Lord that for years. Um, but even with my wife, we dated for three years, and then we got married. And honestly, it was probably about man seven, eight years, maybe more than that, in our marriage to where I finally settled in, even in the last few years, to where I settled into a place where I went, she really loves me. You know, and she never caused me doubt of that, but but in my own heart I just kind of thought, well, I always I never fully gave myself terrible, I guess. I never fully gave myself in because I always had a reserve to go just in case. You know, I'm just watching to see, does she really love me or not? And you know what's awesome is over the years she just continued to She continued to show that. And, get, and, and once you have that assurance, what's awesome is you just rest. And you have joy and peace in your marriage. And it's the same thing in your relationship with the Lord. You know, a lot of times we doubt, mainly because we look at ourselves. Here's where the problem comes. We look at ourselves and we go, man, how could God love me? Knowing this, we know that God knows everything about us. You know, I can fool my wife in some areas and not tell her everything and just keep my certain parts of my life to myself in that closet area where it's got them big locks on it. I don't want anybody to ever know. All of us got that, right? You know, there's areas where I don't ever want anybody to go there. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus where he like walks through walls. You can't shut a door and keep him out. He's like, I go everywhere and anywhere. And, 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 and so we know he knows our thoughts and the things that go through our our, our minds in the days, and I had honestly I had a terrible week this week spiritually, and I thank God for this message because it helped me. But, but you know what? He sees when you don't see me. Some of y'all see me and go, man, he must be a holy man, thinking yeah, holy right. Uh, if you'd have seen me on Thursday morning, you would have thought he is an idiot. Is what you'd have thought. But in that, you know, God sees that what you don't see and what I don't see about you, because some of you I look and go, man, I know they love Jesus with all their heart and they live in holiness every day. I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> After I hear about some of the things y'all do, I know y'all you're just like me. <laughs> but here's the awesome thing: God, God sees that and He goes, I love you anyway. I love you anyway. I, and here's what's awesome is when you think about sin, I might even get way far in my message. When you think about sin in our life, we know God hates sin. He hates it. Okay, and so we, if we're not careful, you identify yourself as a sinner. 
I sin, that makes me a sinner, and then that means God hates me. That's not true. That's what the devil wants you to believe. We are, before we're born again, we are sinners. But God sees you and he said, I came to die for sinners so that you can be set free from from sin and the results of the face. And once you're saved, listen to me, God doesn't deal with you as a sinner anymore. You're not, God doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint. Why? Because now I'm in union with Christ, okay? And I got to share this with you because it, it was a truth that I was teaching last Sunday in Sunday school and it was just boom. You know, sometimes you're teaching, God shows you stuff while you're in the middle of it. You go, wow, and this is one of the wild moments for me. If you remember back to Adam and Eve, they were perfect, you know, they, and then they disobeyed God, they sinned against God, they didn't trust God, they didn't believe God, they partook of the fruit of the tree that God told them not to, the one thing, you know, He told them not to do, and then right after that, they went and hid themselves, they knew that they had sinned, they, they were separated from God, they, they knew that they stood in the judgment of God because He was holy, and what happens? God comes to them, He always comes to us, so merciful. He, he tells them he tells them of the truth and of the judgment that they were going to die because of what you know they didn't believe him. He said, "If you partake of this, you're going to die." God's truthful. Okay, our sin slays us. But here's the awesome part of that: the, God presents the gospel right there. He's the first preacher that presents the gospel when he talks about the seed of the woman. He's talking about Jesus, and I've taught you that before. But at that moment, Adam believed the gospel. Okay, because he changed his wife's name from woman. It started off the woman. He changed it to Eve, which is the mother of, of all. all uh, I can't even remember what her name is. Anyhow, basically new beginnings. So he believed the gospel. That's how Adam was saved. Same way that you're saved. Okay, he was honest before God. He believed, and it said at that point God slayed an animal, probably a lamb. The Bible doesn't say, but if you look at the pictures through there. But anyway, whatever it was, God saw that animal. He was looking to the cross. In the future, because remember, God dwells in eternity, and God slayed that animal. And it says, then he took the skins of the animal, and he clothed Adam and Eve and covered their nakedness. Remember, their nakedness was a picture of our sin. We're, we have no covering. We're not rightly clothed before God. We have it to do with God. Okay, But God comes and he says, I'm going to cover your, cover your sins. Now, you think about this, because this is the wow moment I got. At that point, God took Jesus and wrapped him around Adam and Eve and said, now I see my son. That's what it means when it talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are in Christ. Four, I think 13 or 14 times there, says it all the way through the scriptures, that your position as a believer, you are in Christ. That means even when you have a bad morning, you say things you shouldn't say, and you lose your temper, and you, and you tear up some stuff in your shop, and you don't care, and your wife's got a little smirk on her face. At that point, you know, when, when the devil goes, look at you, preacher, you know, and, and, and the guilt and the, you know what I'm talking about, the guilt and the shame, you just go, oh, just, I want to run away from God. You know what Jesus does? He just, he still, he stays wrapped around you. And all of a sudden, you'll, you'll keep reading here in a little while, you'll see that Jesus stands for you. He's your advocate. He's like, he's my son. And when the father sees you, you know why he still loves you? Because he says, I see my son. He's wrapped in his righteousness. It's all about Jesus, man. It's, Incredible, but but when you grasp that, you know, you can have joy, and, and your joy can be full, and you can have a great confidence and assurance because you're His, and you have eternal life, even to the point that when you look at death, because everyone was going to die, 
You know, let's be real here and let's not paint up a Houston message. Every one of us going to die. We have our day where we're going to take our last breath. Okay. And, and as a Christian, the awesome thing about insurance, I can look at that day and go, even so, Lord, come quickly. You know, whatever, bring it. Cause, because the devil can give his best shot. I've already got the victory in Christ Jesus and I can have peace even standing over my grave. So here's the thing. Satan uses doubt and he uses it. It's a great weapon. And he tries to use it against a believer to produce fear. Because fear is miserable. If you're trying to serve God out of fear, I just want to make sure I do right and make sure this nap because I want to know that I'm good with God and I'm right with God. And, you know, some people live out of that whole fear-based system where they go, I just need to make sure, you know, at the end of the day, I confess all my sins and I get right with God because if something happens to me, you know, I could go to hell. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. The Bible says perfect love in First John casts out fear. There is no fear in love, okay? And God wants you to serve Him out of love, not out of fearfulness. Now, there is a fear of the Lord, which is a respect. That's a whole different thing we won't talk about right now. But but there is, a, God wants us, our, our worship. When you came to worship this morning, when you come to church this morning, when you how you live this week, it's not a, I mean, you know... Make sure I'm going to do right, otherwise God's going to thump me on the head, or God's going to do this, or you know I'm going to make God mad, and all of a sudden now me and God's got this great divide between us, and and all these thought processes that God doesn't want you doing what you do. Say, why why do you want to live holy? Why do you want to do right? Why do you want to repent of sin? Why do you not want? Why like Jeremy pray? Why do you want to hate sin? Because I love Jesus, and he because he first loved me. That's also First John. Because when you see Jesus for who he is, if you can grasp this truth here to where it sinks in and you go, wow, that's amazing that he loves me that way and that he's done what he's done and I am who I am and I have what I have simply because of what he's done and how great his love is, that causes me to go, I don't want nothing to do with sin. I don't, and even though we fall, and even though it's sin, I don't mean I want to. And I don't want to, I don't want to walk in darkness and I don't want this and I don't want that. I want to honor God and I want God to be pleased with how I live and the things that I say and I want to serve the Lord and I do it not out of guilt, not because some preacher should have browbeat me, but you don't even have to tell me I need to serve. I want to and I deserve desire to fulfill God's calling and purpose in my life, okay? So here's the thing. I'm going to have to cut us off here in just a bit. Give me about 10 minutes. If you give me 10 minutes, I'll get you out of here. God gives every believer two gifts of assurance, okay? Two gifts of assurance, the Word and God's Spirit. The Bible teaches that God gave us the Holy Spirit as confirmation and absolute assurance that you're born again, okay? And His Word is truth. They're a team that work together to bring truth and assurance, and this to me, both to believers and unbelievers alike. You can be assured that you're lost. When you look at God's Word, there's a lot of people who want to, who treat God's Word like it's a lie. When God's Word says, if you're, if you're saved, you want this and you want this, and we'll look at some of these things, we kind of, this and that, and people go, well, I know I do those things, but I just know. I know I'm saved. I know I'm good. Well, how come it is the Scripture says if you're a believer that, that you'll have this or you won't have this? Why is it you don't have it, yet you continue to argue and say that you're a true born-again believer? Well, because, and here's what we'll do. We'll go by feeling and experience. Feeling and experience your worst nightmare. Because when I was a kid or when I was old, I, here's my experience. You know, the preacher preached, I cried, I went forward, uh, he told me to pray this prayer, or I, you know, I prayed this, you know, sinner's prayer, and, and right there at that moment, he told me I was saved, I was assured, he assured me, who is he? He don't know your heart, and neither do I. I need to be assured by God's word, because he's the one that I stand judgment of, I need to be assured by God himself, which is the Holy Spirit in me, and I'm not, not some experience, 
where I became emotional. Man, really, if you look back, if you'll study the New Testament, especially, and look through there, and I'm not saying sometimes there's not emotion involved, but listen to me. There was a, a majority of the people that got saved, you didn't see. Number one, there was no aisle, there was no ceremony, there was no preacher praying with them, there was no oh, a song playing. Well, none of that's in the Bible. It's not there. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying it's not there. And if you are basing it, here's the thing. What happened after your experience? That's what we want to know. What happened after your experience? Because if your experience did not produce anything afterwards that aligns with the scripture, all you had was an empty experience. And so we're going to look and see what the Bible says, because we've been deceived to base our relationship on feeling and experience. And, and any of you like me, you ever feel like you're not saved? Man, Thursday morning, I didn't feel holy. I didn't feel saved. I didn't feel godly. I didn't feel, I felt awful. And if I believed in the whole, you can be saved one day and lost the next, I was lost as could be Thursday morning, all right? I don't believe that, but I'm just saying... You know, some days I wake up and I don't feel like I'm close to God. And I don't feel, you know, some people, just, I just felt the presence of God and I felt this. And, and I don't feel the presence of God. Like, we make God out like here today and gone tomorrow. And the Lord's like, I'll never leave you. How do I know God's with me? His word says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So it says. And I believe God over what I believe my feelings. Okay. <laughs> so in that. When you look at the, when you look at the, the book of First John. I challenge you to read it. You never find. Either of those used as evidence that you're a true believer. You don't see John go, well, you know, like some preachers have, well, did, have you prayed the sinner's prayer? Yeah. Well, then you're saved. Don't let some man assure you. Let God assure you. Okay? Because he, he, he might be lost. You know? And that's not in here. The Lord said, I didn't find that in here. I didn't find, well, did you feel this? Did you, did you get, did you get weepy? And, you know, did you get that really warm feeling? And, uh, you know, just, oh, I just felt, uh, you know, saved. So I know I'm saved. And do you realize Mormons, now listen to me, I'm not being critical here, but Mormonism, no, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the teaching, is a cult. It's a cult. It's totally against God's word. It's a false, as false could ever be. Of teaching, yet they have a deal called, it's called the burning in the bosom. And they said, well, I felt that. And if you talk to a Mormon, you can take a Mormon and you can take God's word and go, boom, 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 all the way down through there. And to the point to where you shake everything in them, but they'll always go back to when you said, well, I felt it. I felt it. See, the, you, well, I can't believe that. There's a lot of Baptists who go back to a place where I just, I just know, I just felt it. I just felt it. And I've talked to people and go, do you know, God's word says you'll have this. Do you have this? No, I don't have it. Do you have this? No, I don't have it. Do you have this evidence? No. Can you give me any evidence that Christ is in you? Well, not really. So are you saved? Yes. Okay, what? I just don't want to know. For your sake, not mine. For your sake, what do you base that on? I just felt it. So you're going, you're going to, you're going to step out of this life into eternity going, I'm basing everything on a feeling. Man, it's more than a feeling. All right. Now, some of y'all get that later. All right, now. You 80s people. Uh, let me read this to you. What, what we do find is a clear truth in God's Word that explains the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. What he produces in Romans 8 and 9 says this, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone, listen to this, this is God's Word. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. What what separates believer, unbeliever, heaven, hell? I either have God's spirit or I don't. Because I have his spirit, I'm alive. Because I don't, I'm dead. Because I have his spirit, I'm, I'm right with God. Because I don't, I'm not. 
I'm a friend of God. I'm an enemy of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of wrath. His spirit. So if I'm going to look and go, I need assurance of my salvation, then I need to know if I've got God's spirit. Now, really quick, let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Notice it doesn't start off by talking about you because salvation is not about you. It's about him. It's about what he has. We can't save ourselves. We have nothing to offer to God. We have no way of saving ourselves. And so it's about God. And it describes who God is because if I'm going to identify God, the Holy Spirit in me, I need to know. And it says God is light. Now, verse 6 says this. Here you go. Do you check yourself? If we say that we have fellowship, we're in union with him, and we walk, underline word walk, walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship or or union with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So when you look at this, it says God is light. There in him is there no darkness also. The first evidence presented here in the book of John is how do you relate to light? When you think about that, it says if you walk in darkness. It doesn't say if you sin, if you fall. Because if you say, well, I don't sin. Then the Bible, if you keep reading here, it says you're a liar and truth's not in you. All of us sin. Every, everyone sins. The question is, what is the pattern of your life? What, when it talks about walking, that's, that's talking about a continual pattern. I enjoy darkness. I follow after darkness. I go deeper into darkness. I'm comfortable in darkness. The ways of the world, sin, those things. Now listen to me. Don't go diving off into thinking about murder. Well, I don't murder anybody. No, let's not. Let's just look at darkness. You know. When you, when you look at your life and you go, when I'm, when I'm away from church, when I'm away from godly people, I'm just like the world. Uh, uh, let me, we'll just use some different examples. Uh, a pattern of my life. Not that, we're not talking about falling, okay, and getting up repenting and, and staying in the light. We're talking about, you know, the only time that I think about light is when I come in here around all these lighted people. And other than that, I watch filthy things on TV. I have filthy thought processes that I indulge in. I, I look at things. I say things. I backbite. I gossip. I, I tear down people. You know, I have hate in my heart, and I'm good with that. I'm proud of my hate. I'm proud, you know, a proud person. I, uh, you know, you pick your pattern. If you look at your life and go, yeah, you're describing me, and I'm a believer. The Bible says right here, you're a liar. Well, the Bible says, not me. Don't, don't tell the preacher left, tell me I'm a liar. Jesus said you're a liar. Because if you look at your life and it's a pattern of darkness and you enjoy sin and you indulge sin, then the Bible says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. You do not practice truth. Um, real quick, <clears throat> I promise you I'm almost done. I got just a wee little bit, okay? Looking in John chapter 3, if anybody needs to go for work's sake, not for eating, okay? You can fast right now. But if you need to go for work, you're not going to bother me. I just got to get this because it's very important. John chapter 3, verse 16, everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice what it says, verse 17. For God did not send his world or his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Amen. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And notice verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light... Has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Darkness means I want to hide from God. I want to hide what I do from God. I, when you talk about coming into God's presence, I don't want to come into God's presence if I love darkness because I don't want God to know what i got going on. I've got it hid from the Lord. There's a, there's a secret me, we think. Whereas God's people, if you're born a believer, it says in verse 20, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that he may that they have been done in God. Now finishing up in verse 7, going back to 1 John real quick, flip back over there. This is my finish. And we'll pick it up starting here next week. Going back in verse 7, 1 John chapter 1 says, But if we walk in light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's the, here's the, the opposite of darkness. Believers, if you're a born again believer, okay, you love light. You love coming into God's presence. God is light, it says here. Jesus, the Bible says, is the light of the world. The Holy Spirit is the light in us, and, the, and they're drawn to one another, okay? And so in that, even when we sin, we bring it into the light. Here's the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. A believer, when you sin and you fall, okay, you still have the light of God in you and you want to bring that to the light. You're like, Lord, I want to I want to bring this to you because I don't want this in me. And it's not about, I'm going to say this, it's not about forgiveness where God's like, oh, you sinned, I'll hold that against you. That's on your list. And you better do something to make this right. It's not, it's not about that. It's about, I see sin for what it is. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the light in me, who is God's presence, is holy. He sanctifies me. He's like, Lou, hey, let's get rid of this because this is going to destroy you. And so, so what do we do? Though we sin, we're not in communion with it. Sin should be foreign to us. It's not something we're comfortable with. It's not something like, oh, yeah, sin, I'm good. And I don't have no problem with this. And I'm, you know, I go along with it and I walk in. We walk in the light. Well, now we might stumble, but you know what? The Bible says a holy man or a child of God falls seven times, gets up, keeps going. It means complete, we have complete holiness with Christ. And Christ is the one in us that goes, hey, get up. Hey, clean up. Hey, come back. Let me, let me clean you up. I, I was going to stop there, but I got to give you one thing real quick. It's this the most powerful part of this past scripture. <clears throat> And I'm going to cover it again next week, but I'll give it to you. If you keep reading, you get verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here's the verse that's always misused. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. People say, see, it holds your sins against you, and He has to forgive you. You have to confess your sin, confess your sin. And so we get in this pattern of confession, and as long as I confess, because I have people tell me all the time, well, I confess every, you know, all the time, all night, you know, every night I confess my sin, ask God to forgive me so I make sure I'm right with God. That's not what that passage of Scripture teaches. The word confess means, in the Greek, look it up yourself, it means to agree with God. I agree, this is sin. I'm going to call it for what it is. I'm not going to hide it, cover it up. And I want to bring it into the light. Now, here's the awesome thing that I learned this week. The word forgive, when you look it up in the original language, the first definition, I mean, you look on down the, uh, the other definitions, it, it does mean a debt, a debt that you owe. A debt held against me. Listen to me. That debt's been paid. At the cross of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, your sins, all of your sins are forgiven. You have no debt because the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all my sin. So, so what's this whole confessing and forgiving? The word forgive, the primary definition of the word forgive there means to set me free from the power of sin. Here's what it means. As a, as a believer, okay, 
God doesn't want the devil to have any hold in your life. You recognize what sin is now. You know that it's destruction and it's leading you in a path away from the will of God in your life. You know it's going to produce misery and depression and destruction. All those things because the light of God is in you and you love God and you, you, you hate sin if you're a believer, okay? And so here's the point. When we sin and we, and we, and we choose to sin or we willfully sin or we follow sin, however you want to label it, the Holy Spirit immediately goes, hey, you, you got something in your closet, in your, in you. We got to get that. We got to get him out of here. Don't give the devil a place. And the devil's like, oh, look at you. He wants to bring you. He wants to try to hide the lie. Shame and condemnation and guilt. Why? Because he wants to, if you give him a closet in your house, he'll build a house in, inside. Here's what God says. Hey, I want you to bring this to me. Why not? Why do I need to bring it to you, Lord? Because you're angry. Because you're holding your, my sin against you. Romans chapter 4 said, blessed is the man whom God does not impute sin. God does not keep a list of your sin as a believer. Because if he did, how are you going to pay for that? Sin has to be paid for. Who's paying for it? Say, Jesus paid for it at the cross. Exactly. And you was born again by the blood of Jesus through what he's done for you at the cross. And that was applied fully to your account. At the moment you were saved, you were holy and righteous before God without blame is what the Bible says. And now that sin is forgiven. Okay? Your spirit, man. And, and, and God doesn't want that to have any place in your life. And so now because the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's what it says, you know, if you see in the blood of Jesus Christ, I can always come back to a place like Thursday morning, we'll finish with this, when I had my little meltdown and my fit and my valve popped off and all those things I did that dishonored the character of Jesus. Okay, you know what I did? Nobody else knew. If you'd have been standing there on the outside, you'd have judged me. I went, look at him, hypocrite, preacher, blah, blah, blah. But while I was walking up my driveway, because my truck was broke, I was walking up my driveway, you know what I said? I said, Lord, I do not want to act like this. I don't want this to have any place in my life, not even for a day. And I hate this, God, and I pray. And because I read this, the Lord set me free from this. Don't let the devil grab a spot in my mind or in my actions today, God. I'm bringing this to you. Why? Because you're the only one who can help me. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, you can break that. You can cleanse that. And I can start fresh right now. And you know what? That's just a smack in the devil's mouth. And I love it for the glory of God. But but that's what that's what Jesus does for the believer. You because you know how good he is, even when you fall, you come to him and go, I need you to help me. You can do that when you was a little kid. Maybe when you got older, you didn't. When you was a little kid and you fell, you did something even when you did something stupid, most of the time you would run to your mom and dad and go, I, I messed up. Sometimes even as teenagers. Sometimes we act like spiritual teenagers because we'll mess up and we'll mess up and we'll go so long until we figure out, hey, I'm way in deep. What am I gonna do? You always know you can go to your mom and dad if you have a loving mom and dad. I always knew I'd go to my mom and dad. Go here's what's awesome. It don't matter how stupid you got. You can go and go. This is what I've done. Your mom and dad's like, okay. What are they going to do? They're not there to go. They're there to go. I want to bring you out of this. Bring you back to a place that that you're supposed to be. That it's good for you, where you're safe and it's good. And they restore you. Why did God give you loving parents? Now some of you might not have loving parents, but why did God give me loving parents? Okay, because in that I see Jesus. Because He is a loving Father. That goes, hey. I took care of that sin. I broke the power of sin through the cross, through my resurrection. So even when you fall as my child, come to me. And I'm going to forgive that in the sense of, I'm going to set you free from that. It's not going to have a hold in your life. We're going to break that. We're going to, just like Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He said, everybody always needs washing, but you can't clean yourself. Listen, your religion not clean you. Coming to church more, trying to do God, making up for your, that don't clean you. What do we do? I come to the light and I go, this is my deeds. 
whether good, listen to me, whether good or bad. If you have a good day, I come to the light and go, God, thank you. The only reason I had a good day is because you are in me. And I want to give you glory for that. So when you look at your life, we'll start off with this this morning. Very simple. When you look at your life this morning, what does the evidence say? If you was brought into a court trial, what would the evidence say? How do you respond to light? Say in my life, I can look and go, I love, I love Jesus. I love the light. I love, I want to be in God's presence. Uh, I've been changed. Uh, or, or if we're going to be honest, would you say between you and the Lord, not between anybody, between you and the Lord, would you say, I love darkness? Because here's where I'm at. I was 12 years old. I went through the whole experience thing. Okay. And if you'd have looked at my life as a teenager and I was honest, I would have said, I love darkness. I'm a church member, baptized, get the whole feeling and experience the sinner's prayer stuff and all that stuff. But in my heart, it was dark. It was very dark. And I loved darkness. I didn't like the light. I didn't want, I came to church, but I did not want to come into the light. I did not want to come into the presence of God and expose my deeds because they was wicked. Because my heart was wicked. You know what happened? When I was 19, God turned the light on. There was a union. That no preacher or baptism caused. It was a union that the gospel of Jesus Christ caused in me. And His Holy Spirit saved me, turned my lights on, changed my heart's desire. And even though I still sin and I sin every day, even though I have that, I hate it. It, he changed my thoughts towards that, my thoughts towards him. And I'm like, every time the devil tries to shove me off into a corner, here's what he does. He wants to get you over there and go, God doesn't love you. You messed up. You went way too far this time. Over and over, like this is the 70th time this week. You know, get over here. He wants to just try to overshadow. And what's awesome is the Holy Spirit's like, let me turn on the power of the cross. That's what the word is. It's the light. You know what got me through this week? I looked in God's word. This message was just for me. If nobody else got it, I looked in God's word and I went, hey, I've got hope. Because God's word magnifies Jesus, not me. It magnifies light, not darkness. And God's like, bring it to me and I'll, I'll blow you away. If you're sitting here this morning and go, I, I don't have that assurance. You don't need me. You need Jesus. Right where you are, just to humble yourself and go, God, I, I'm lost. And I, I trust in what Jesus has done. Not the words. You understand what I'm saying? But in your heart, please save me, God. I, I want to come into the light. I don't want sin no more. I want you. I want what you have for me. Love and grace and mercy and forgiveness starting today. Okay? Maybe you're one of those Christians who you look and go, I'm just eat up with guilt and condemnation. I don't know what to do with it. Bring it into the light. Bring it to Jesus and let him set you free from that because he, that's what he loves to do. Because he's glorified. Crazy as it's saying, even in your sin, God's glorified. He's like, oh, I'm going to show you what I can do with sin. I destroy it. I set you free from the power of it. God is so good. Will you stand with your head back and your eyes closed? <clears throat> Father, we just bow before you today. Lord, just humbled and amazed at your goodness and your mercy toward us. God, we think about your holiness. It brings fear. Uh, to my heart, knowing that when I look at my life, it, that it doesn't look holy. And God, but when I see your love, and I see the cross of Jesus. Just amazed. God, I pray that there will be people here today who are amazed. We look at our sin, God, we see hopelessness. But when we look at Jesus... 
We see light. We see a light on that leads us away from this junk. And it leads us out of the storm of life. And it leads us out of destruction. Lord, I pray your light will shine greatly today. I pray, God, that your people will be set free from all of the lies and the deceit. And the condemnation and the shame and the guilt that Satan tries to pour on us. To take away our joy and take away our hope in you. God, I pray that you would just remove that blindness this morning, God. Pray that people would find themselves just humble in your presence. To receive your grace and mercy. To show you love and thankfulness, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.